Welcome to the Business Scholarship Podcast, interdisciplinary conversations about new works in the broad world of business research. I'm your host, Andrew Jennings. If you like what you hear today, please consider subscribing to the podcast or sharing with others who might like it too. And if you have ideas for future episodes, let me know. My email address is andrew at andrewkjennings.com, and I look forward to hearing from you. Our guest today is Gregory Burke, a PhD student in accounting at Duke University. We'll be discussing his paper, SEC Rule 14A8, Shareholder Proposals, No Action Requests, Determinants, and the Role of SEC Staff. I'll have a link to the paper in the show notes for the episode. Greg, welcome to the Business Scholarship Podcast. Thanks for including me, Andrew. Greg, I wondered if before we jump into the core of your paper, if we could do uh, or discuss a little bit of the background of the topic. Uh, What are shareholder proposals? Uh, What is SEC Rule 14A8? And how does no action practice or what is no action practice in the context of shareholder proposals? And how does it work? I guess to get started, for those who aren't super familiar with this setting or could use a little refresher since law school, I guess I'd like to start with some terminology. So This is terminology that I'll use for the rest of our conversation, but to avoid any confusing terms, let's get that out at the beginning. First, when I'm talking about securities regulation that governs shareholder proposals, we're talking about Rule 14A-8. So for this conversation, my attention's restricted to those matters related to 14A-8. Second, and I'm sure many of our listeners are familiar with the no-action process, whereby the SEC staff essentially pre-approves certain transactions. When I'm referring to no action in this podcast, I'm specifically referring to no action under Rule 14A-8. So those exclusions related to shareholder proposals. I guess let's set the stage. So conditional on some certain ownership requirements, shareholders have the right to submit proposals to management to be voted on by the greater shareholder class. Now, upon receiving these proposals, management can take one of a few actions. One of those actions is just throw it on the annual proxy to be voted on by the rest of the shareholders. Another option is negotiate a withdrawal of that proposal from the proponent. Or, and what this paper is focused on, is to send that proposal to the SEC staff asking for no action relief. So this no action request, this thing that's sent to the SEC staff, functions, like I said, as a pre-approval to take a particular action. And in this case, to exclude that proposal from the annual proxy. These requests take the form of a letter where management or more often their lawyers will cite the legal reasons why a proposal violates one or a number of procedural and substantive requirements under the rule and for that reason, why they should be excluded from the proxy. Upon receiving this, the SEC staff then reviews the request, and they respond. And until this most recent proxy season of 2020, they responded in the form of a no-action letter, where they either agree or disagree with this assessment by management. Now, if they agree, management can exclude the proposal. If they disagree, the proposal usually either appears on the proxy or management can engage the proponent for a withdrawal. Now, we know from the existing literature that management sends about 40% of all shareholder proposals to the SEC staff seeking exclusion. And the staff 
agree with about 70% of those, which means that nearly 30% of all shareholder proposals submitted are excluded through this process. While this is really to say is that this is a common tool used by management to dismiss a shareholder proposal. You might be asking, well, is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? And my paper is not here to answer that question. But there is some research that does attempt to do that, just to give you a taste for that. On the one hand, some have argued that this is a good process because the SEC staff can identify and exclude value-destroying proposals. On the other hand, those in the literature have argued that potentially managers are seeking to exclude proposals that otherwise would be widely supported by the shareholder base. And arguably even more interestingly, the SEC themselves have started to consider their own involvement in this process. As recent as the summer of 2019, During a U.S. Chamber of Commerce event, the SEC Director of the Division of Corporation Finance, Bill Hinman, suggested when discussing engagement between shareholders and management that they might be able to improve this process if they could better get out of the way. The point of all this is to say is that some people think this is a good thing, others might have their doubts, and my paper doesn't intend to add to this debate, but rather illuminate some empirical facts where the reader can make their own evaluations. Let's talk about those facts. What research questions did you set out to answer? What potential determinants of no action relief did you look at? And why did you choose those potential determinants to examine? When I first learned about the no action process, I was interested in the role the SEC staff plays as this sort of middleman between owners of the firm, the shareholders, and their hired agents or management. As I previously noted, even the SEC has questioned their role in this process and whether or not they're discouraging uh, meaningful engagement between these two groups, managers and shareholders. As I read more, I found there wasn't very much empirical work that documents the 14A-8 no action process, the process related to excluding shareholder proposals. There are a couple working papers out there for sure. But aside from that, most of the academic work has been in the legal literature that's generally focused on documenting the process overall and maybe commenting on a specific no-action response here and there. The hope of my paper is to shed light on what kind of proposals are successfully excluded through this process and those that aren't. In other words, what are the determinants? What are the factors that lead to no-action relief? The intent of this paper is not to make causal inference, but rather provide some descriptive insights. So to that end, my analysis considers four categories of determinants or factors or categories or buckets, however you want to refer to them, of no action relief. The first of these is the legal characteristics of the request. The second being the pressure on the SEC staff. The third, attributes of the proposal. And the fourth, the individual SEC staff member making the decision. So we can briefly go through each of these. So the first one is the legal characteristics of the request. This includes the legal basis of exclusion presented by management, as well as the legal argument made. Now, one would argue from reading SEC staff legal bulletin 14 that this is what should matter most. The SEC doesn't attempt to opine on the quality of the proposal, 
but just does it meet the legal requirements under Rule 14A-8? The remaining categories were chosen based on other literature in this area. So the first of those remaining ones, or my second bucket, is pressure from the SEC staff. This includes internal pressure as well as external pressure. The external pressure coming from management, those that are asking for exclusion, as well as the proponent, those that submitted the shareholder proposal. The third bucket are attributes of the proposal. This includes the type of proposal. Is the proposal related to governance? Is it related to an environmental issue? As well as the quality or potential popularity of the proposal. And my fourth and final bucket is related to the individual SEC staff member that makes the decision. Now, on the one hand, some in the literature have argued that regulators can interpret and enforce the same regulation differently. And specifically in this setting, others have argued that the SEC staff members must use professional judgment when determining whether or not a proposal can be excluded. On the other hand, the role of individual SEC staff members may be limited due to the collaborative nature of their work and multiple levels of review. So in summary, the four factors that I consider, the four buckets, the four determinants, are the legal characteristics of the request, pressure on the SEC staff, attributes of the proposal, and finally, the individual SEC staff member making the decision. With these research questions in mind, could you talk a little bit about the methods that you employed, what proxies and data sources that you used in those methods? It's important to remember before I answer this question that my samples conditioned on those proposals that are sent to the SEC by management. So everything that I'm saying, I can't speak to shareholder proposals in general or those proposals that don't go through this process. Now, empirically, what I'm doing is I'm estimating what an empiricist might call a linear probability model, or others might use a less technical term like a determinant model. And what I'm trying to do is understand the determinants of what factors influence the SEC staff's decision to grant no action relief. Another way to put it is I estimate the likelihood of getting no action relief based on the four determinant buckets that I've previously outlined. And those are, again, the legal characteristics, pressures on the SEC staff, attributes of the proposal, and the individual SEC staff members. Once I estimate my model, I do a series of tests to assess if each of these buckets are reliably associated with no action relief. In other words, do these buckets seem to influence the decision made by the SEC staff? As far as data is concerned, my main source of no action data is from IntelliGize, which is a LexisNexis product. I also use some other data sources that would be more familiar to economists and scholars in finance and accounting, which include CompuStat for accounting data and FactSet for voting data. As far as proxies are concerned, we could basically just walk through the four categories that I have. So very high level. For the first category, the legal characteristics of the request, I include variables to capture the procedural and substantive basis of exclusion requested by management. I also include variables to capture whether or not the firm or the proponent are engaging external legal counsel. For the second bucket, 
pressure on the SEC staff. To capture internal pressure, I consider the political balance of the five commissioners. For external pressure, for pressure from management, I consider firm characteristics, size, and profitability. For external pressure with regard to the proponent, I consider the proponent type. Is the proponent, the person writing this proposal, an activist group? Are they individuals? Are they a union, a pension fund? Next, for attributes of the proposal, I consider the proposal type. Are these compensation-related, governance-related? And then I include another variable that captures the popularity or quality of that proposal. And finally, for my fourth and final category, the category related to the individual SEC staff member, I essentially capture who is signing each of these letters. So I include a variable that turns on when an individual appears on the letter and not when they don't. What did you find in this research? And are there any important robustness checks that you'd like to highlight? I guess in short, I find that all four of these buckets have a reliable association with no action relief. What's potentially more illuminating is to look within a bucket. So within each bucket, some items might matter more than others. And those that do matter might increase the likelihood of exclusion while others might decrease it. I'll provide a quick example. Requests that cite that the proposal relates to a personal matter, those don't have a reliable association with getting no action relief. However, if a request cites a procedural violation, those do seem to matter and they increase the likelihood of exclusion. While those requests that cite false or misleading claims are less likely to be excluded by the staff. I discussed some more of these specific results in my paper, but here are a couple that other folks have found interesting. Proposals sponsored by individuals are more likely to be excluded by the staff, while those sponsored by unions and religious groups are often more successful at surviving this process. In addition, environmental proposals are the least likely of the different proposal types that I account for to be excluded. Now, of the explained variation in no-action relief, in other words, of the amount of the decision I can explain, 65% of that is explained by legal characteristics. Now, this makes sense, right? Given what we know from SEC Staff Legal Bulletin 14 that says it's all about the legal argument, this makes sense. However, of that remaining variation, of that remaining 35%, Nearly half of it is explained by the SEC staff member who signs that no-action response. Now, from an earlier conversation with Andrew, he found this result of particular interest. To assess the validity of this result, I do a few additional tests. So first, I verify that there are more individual SEC staff members that have a reliable association with no-action relief than I would expect at random. So, for example... With my sample of 70 SEC staff members that signed these letters, at a 10% level of significance, I'd expect to see seven of them at random to have a reliable association. However, I see 20. Second, I ensure that those individuals that seem to matter in this process sign enough letters that I can reliably estimate their association. Third, 
I run some tests to assess if my results are driven by non-random assignment, which do not seem to be a significant concern. And finally, I conduct a simulation where I randomly assign regulators to letters in my sample and perform the same test iteratively. I do this 10,000 times, and none of these tests have a level of significance as high as my true sample. With those fundings in mind, how do they and this paper interact with existing law, finance, and accounting literatures? Are there any gaps that you fill? My paper and my findings contribute to better understanding the SEC no-action process in general, and and in particular with regard to the 14A-8 process. While the existing empirical literature in accounting and finance consider what proposals management will send to the SEC, whether the no-action process adds value, and voting outcomes of proposals that survive this process, my investigation focuses on how no-action decisions are made by the staff. I also believe I provide some of the first empirical evidence to the legal literature. For random example, there have been some observed inconsistencies in the SEC's treatment of no-action requests that have been explained in the past by systematic changes in the interpretation of relevant rules. However, an alternative explanation based on my results might be that Maybe part of that has to do with inconsistencies between individual SEC staff members. I also think more broadly, uh, my results are timely to those in practice. So we've seen in recent years, investors are increasingly prioritizing CSR, corporate social responsibility, and ESG, environmental, social, and governance issues. And therefore, the role of the shareholder and shareholder voice is of increasing importance in corporate governance. Also, the no-action process has gained recent attention as recently as this past September when the SEC adopted amendments to Rule 14A-8, marking the first significant change to the rule within the last 20 years. So I believe my paper provides at least some high-level descriptive empirical insights to those who are interested and are studying this setting. Greg, what key takeaways or open questions would you like our listeners to be thinking about from this interview or from the paper? I think the key takeaways are there's some different determinants that seem to matter in the SEC staff's decision to grant no action relief. The first and the one that appears to be most important are the legal characteristics related to that request. But other things that seem to matter are pressures on the SEC staff proposal attributes, and the individual SEC staff member that signs the letter. As far as open questions, I think one of the most obvious questions following on from my paper is, what is it about these SEC staff members that might be influencing outcomes? Is there something special about them? Do they go to a similar law school? Do they have a similar level of experience? This is a question that my paper doesn't explore, at least at this point, but potentially could help explain the results that you see in my paper. Our guest today has been Gregory Burke, a PhD student in accounting at Duke University. We've discussed his paper, SEC Rule 14A8, Shareholder Proposals, No Action Requests, Determinants, and the Role of SEC Staff. I'll link to the paper in the show notes for the episode. Greg, thank you for joining the Business Scholarship Podcast. Thanks so much, Andrew. 
Thank you for listening to another episode of the Business Scholarship Podcast. If you like what you heard, please consider subscribing to the podcast or leaving a rating on your favorite podcast app or let other people know about it too. If you have suggestions for future episodes, please let me know. My email address is andrew at andrewkjennings.com and I look forward to hearing from you. Until the next time, I'm your host, Andrew Jennings. Andrew Jennings.